0: Barbara has our special this
1: morning. At Trey's graduation the other night, the brother, Alan Haygood, was preaching. And he said one statement that has stayed with me ever since. I knew I was going to do this. (laughs) He said, God can take the ordinary things in your life. And do extraordinary things through you. So true. So true. I wrote this song about 12 years ago. I had prayed and prayed and prayed. I grew up on gather music. I don't know if y'all know what that is. But um, I grew up on it. And he wrote so many great songs. He touched me. I mean... You just can't get better than that. But um, I prayed and prayed and prayed that God would use me to write a song one day
0: that might help
1: somebody. Little did I know that one Sunday morning I woke up and this song was just going through my head. And I thought, ooh, that's a good song. Somebody should sing that. And God gave it to me. You see, I had sat down and tried to write these lyrics, and they were not good. (laughs) I'll just tell you now, they were not good. But when God gives you something, it's good. My prayer was that this song would bless somebody or help somebody along the way. Little did I know that that was going to be me. I have trouble singing it because I was going through such a rough time when I wrote it. But all the while, God was using that to encourage me. And God takes the simple things, y'all, the little bitty simple things. I don't know about y'all, but the first song I ever learned was Jesus Loves Me. And that's in this song. It's the simple things that God can take in our lives. We don't have to be great and powerful and mighty because God supplies that. But he can use you if you let him. I hope this encourages somebody today.
2: the Bible.
0: Thank the Lord, don't forget how much Jesus loves you We're going to start a new series this morning And of course, next Sunday, we'll obviously take a break uh, from that And we'll continue on, and probably last, uh, through the summer It's called a, a Life of Excellence, it's reflected in your bulletin Next Sunday, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing a message from Trey And uh, hearing uh, what he has on his heart And so, this life of excellence, pursuing this life of excellence, uh, we're going to get started in this. How many of you remember, uh, and it may still be, I can't, I mean, I, uh, my kids are in middle school now, is uh, how many elementary teachers, do we still have conduct grades in elementary? Still have conduct grades? And how many of you remember what, a, what does NI stand for? <laughs> Needs Improvement. Well, I, I had a few of those in eyes, and uh, mainly it was just me talking and getting in trouble. And uh, I'll never forget, I was leaning over one time talking uh, to Tiffany Whitden and uh, Miss Kruzner had come up behind me. I didn't know it at the time. And uh, no warning, she had pulled out a four-foot paddle. <laughs> And, uh, I don't know if teachers can still do this. I don't think so. Just right in the room, right in front of everybody. Boom! You know, and, uh, needless to say, I was back in my seat and I wasn't talking to Tiffany anymore. But, uh, once you get saved, you're, we're, how do we conduct ourselves? You know, as somebody asked one time, once I become a follower of Jesus Christ and ask Jesus into my heart, how do you, what do you do next? What's next? And uh, so we're going to talk about what's next Our text verse is Matthew 5:14. Alright, and it's a, it's a verse that I've had committed to memory It's not a very long verse, it's an easy verse to memorize And uh matter of fact, we all need to remember this verse And this is kind of be our theme in looking at this passage But let's all stand for the reading of God's Holy Word Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 It simply says this. You, matter of fact, say it with me. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to look at a life of excellence in your holy word. May we reflect and be a light here in Hamburg, Ashley County. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. More than anything, God wants you to reflect Him, to live a life of excellence. Now, uh, pursuing a life of excellence doesn't mean that you live a perfect life. You don't have to live a a perfect life. Jesus is not calling any of you to live a perfect life. He's not calling you to live a mistake-free life. But He is asking you to pursue Him. Have you ever thought about this? Now, this the Sermon on the Mount is the longest recorded sermon that Jesus ever preached. And it's kind of like this. You know, this is all new stuff. He taught as one having authority. This is something that people have not heard before. And so as we just... And what we're going to do is just get a glimpse of this entire message. There's so... It is so rich. It is so full. And see... If you could say this, now that I'm saved, now that I've asked Jesus to save me, how do I live? How do I behave? What do I do? What does God want me to do? So a life of excellence, he wants me to get up. To get busy from go to uh, uh, being just a believer to being a follower to go from being somebody who's sitting on the sidelines watching to somebody who's actually walking and working for Him. And looking at all these verses and especially the Beatitudes, it realized this that God wants more from us than just being saved. If you look at the Beatitudes, and that starts, of course, in Matthew chapter 5. It says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, just have your Bible open there or follow along on the screen. Either way, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then it goes on to say, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. The Bible teaches that we can live blessed lives. Now... All of these verses that we just got through looking at tell us that these are things that most of us don't think we're going to encounter or endure as a Christian. Most people don't think about, well, God wants more from me than just being said, Well, I'm saved. Woo! I'm not going to hell. Praise the Lord. But there's more to it than that. He didn't save you just to keep you from going to hell. He saved you to live a life. Now it's not in your outline anywhere, not on the screen or anything. But did you know, in Ephesians chapter two, in verse ten, it says, "We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works." We're, in other words, that once we're saved, we're supposed to be His workmanship. All right. That word actually means a masterpiece. By the way, it's a really cool verse talking about Ephesians two ten. Realize that we must shine out. That's our next thing we should realize. In in our text, we read verse 14. In verse 15, it says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your... What? Your good works. People are watching us. Realize that He wants us to actually... People, God actually wants people to look at our lives. Are we mentoring somebody? Are we being a role model? That's what it means by shining out. That let your light shine. Is promised land a good example of what church should be like? You know, there's many people... That have stopped going to any church because they had a bad experience at one church. I shared with you how that I was talking to somebody, matter of fact, that was working here at our church, and and he relayed to me that he had had a bad experience at a church over in CrossFit, you know. And I, I said, uh, I've just now that that's happened, I just don't go to church. Organized religion, it's of the devil. I said, well, one time, you know, I had a bad experience at a gas station, but if I maybe I just don't buy gas there anymore, I'll go to another gas station. We all need to purchase gas, so just because you had a bad experience one don't mean well, I'm never buying gas again. No, you need to fill up. You need to fill up on God's word, fill up on prayer. Also we need to realize that we're called to be now think about that we're called to be slow to anger. Quick to reconcile with others. All of these, and that's of course in verse 24, and we'll read verse 24 in just a second. And, uh, but before I move on and I get going too fast and you think, well, my goodness, there's no way preacher can preach ten points in a, uh, in a message. Really, this, this message only, it's got ten things there, but this message only has one point when you need to live a life of excellence, God wants you to not brother Michael. Yeah, sure. I want you to, but it really doesn't matter what I want. It matters. What does the Lord want? The Lord wants you to live a life of excellence. And you know, and, uh, I had a, one of my favorite deacons, he's been passed away now at, uh, and he used to sit around and, we were. Uh, I was over. This is back during the uh, Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith days. We was. I went over and he invited me, and that was just, at that time. It was just me and Karen and Taylor. He invited us over to eat lunch. Dallas Cowboys coming on at noon, and uh, he's sitting there, Merkel Hopper, and he's sitting there, and boy, he, he his thumbs could do five thousand RPMs like this. He just. I can't do them that fast. He was watching the game. Emmett Smith ran in, scored a touchdown, and boy, I come up out of that that lazy boy recliner, yeah, I've a way to go, touchdown, yeah, and uh, Merkel Hopper, who was also a big Dallas Cowboy fan, he went, (laughs) that was his response, that was him getting excited, (laughs) because, I mean, that was his level of excitement, all of us are, we react differently, we're wired differently, we uh, we can express the same uh, satisfaction in different ways. But see, Jesus is saying to his followers here, I know you're different. I know you're wired different. I know you've raised on the Old Testament. But he's getting them ready to pursue a life of excellence. He's getting them ready to step their game up. He's getting them ready to take the next step. You see, the things he's teaching have never been taught before. And it wasn't, he didn't come, remember he said it this way, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. I'm actually raise, taking the same thing, and I'm raising the bar. I'm raising the standard. I want you to live a life of excellence. They're all sitting there on the hillside, but see what a backdrop in preaching the Sea of Galilee's right there. Miss Francis has been over there. Miss Barbara's been over there, and they had the—you know—the this is where the—you know—in the backdrop and this, near the Ten Commandments. Excuse me, near the Sea of Galilee there. What a—I mean, what a backdrop. All I've got is painted paneling, okay? And uh, so we got paint, the backdrop here, and we're. Preaching the same, looking at the same message that he preached two thousand years ago, and that's to live a life of excellence. Now, to live a life of excellence, you see, in basically, if anybody knows the Jews, I mean, Jesus knows the Jews. Now, the Jews are wired. For centuries, centuries, I'm not talking decades. I'm not talking one generation. I'm not talking a grandfather or something. It won't get in my way, Ms. Francis. It won't bother me. And think about this. Think about this. All of their lives, their great-grandfathers, their great-grandparents, I mean their great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, you know how they were raised? If somebody hits you, hit them back. If somebody's mean to you, be mean back. If somebody calls you a name, call them a name back. Jesus said, stop doing that. Stop retaliating. Matter of fact, he says in verse 24, if you, if somebody has an ought against you, of course, sometimes the only way to know it is somebody tells you. But if you've got, a, if you're harboring anger in your heart, if you're you, it doesn't say a lot of times we don't know how people feel about it, but you know how you feel about other people. But if you are harboring anger or bitterness in your heart, it says in verse 24, leave there thy gift before the altar, go thy way first and be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Matter of fact, the one of the verses we had to memorize and upward and that we had to go over is in James chapter one and verse 19. That's a great verse. <clears throat> It says this, we need to be quick, slow to wrath. It says, be swift to hear, quick to hear, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. That's James 1.19. So he's setting the standard, changing the standard. Realize our level of moral should be way better than the world's. Matthew 5.28 says this. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. You know, and I didn't have time, obviously, in just doing this overall picture this morning of a life of excellence. You know, I've just picked out some things here out of this message. Realizing that our morals, did you know in the United States what it is, where they pay... uh, our level of morality is going down. You remember what used to be looked upon with. And there's nothing wrong with being ashamed. We we do need to be ashamed of some things. We think, well, that's wrong. You should never. The Bible says we ought to have a broken heart. If God has a broken heart over sin, we should too. Broken heart. Shame. I'm ashamed if I. Say something I shouldn't say, and I say I'm sorry. Shame means that I feel bad inside for what I did or said. But a lot of times we're not ashamed anymore. Well, everybody's doing it. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And looking at this, it says that, yeah, there's adultery and fornication that goes on. But it says here, if I just lust after somebody... In my heart, this is especially true with men, because of the way we're wired, that we've, we're just as guilty. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, that's, that's showing us that we're, we are sinners in our heart. It doesn't mean that uh, somebody said one time, well, if I'm guilty of thinking it, I might as well do it. Well, then that's two sins. See, two wrongs don't make a right. So let's don't lower our morals. As a matter of fact, let's raise them. Morality is not governed by our opinion. I won't quote it, but Ephesians four fourteen it says, "Let's don't be carried away by every wind of doctrine." In other words, don't listen to what the world thinks. It's not our opinions don't do not govern us. The Word of God governs us. Okay, realize that uh, the next thing we should realize is that. We are to love all people. Matthew five forty four says this But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And living a life of excellence or pursuing a life of excellence <clears throat> that's that's a tough one to swallow. Because uh, a lot of times, and I've shared this about two different types of forgiveness. There's a type of forgiveness that you can forgive. I forgive you, but God's going to, he'll take care of you and he'll take you out. Then there's a level of forgiveness where you not only forgive somebody, but you ask God to forgive them also. Actually, to pray for somebody that you think about it right now. Every one of us, every one of us have somebody that, uh, we don't particularly care for. Just, it could be somebody that uh, just, just rubs you the wrong way or something like that. But you know what? Jesus is saying if you're going to pursue a life of excellence, that you should actually pray that God will bless them. To actually pray, not only that, that I, I I'm just turning them over to the Lord, but say, I want God to bless them. Hey, listen, be very honest with yourself right now. Our flesh, I'll go ahead and tell you how your flesh thinks, because I got one too. Most of the time, the first thought, if somebody you don't particularly care for, you kind of get a little tickled when you see them fail. I know how you think, because I have it too. I have the same flesh you have. You get tickled when you see... Somebody that you don't care for. You think they have a a horrible disposition, or you think they're living a totally wrong life. You think, well, I can't wait to see them mess up. And I get all giddy inside when they do. Jesus is saying, you need to pray the opposite. That's tough. That goes against (laughs) the way your flesh is wired. We actually need to pray that our enemies come to know Jesus. And when I say, our, you know what I mean, in those days, they really literally had the enemies' enemies. I'm talking about, you know, people that wanted to kill them. Most of the time, we just, don't, we just have people we don't care for. Beyond, yeah, isn't that right? We just have people we just don't get along with. or don't. You know what I mean. Just stuff like that. You actually need to pray that they'd be successful, that God would bless them, and that they'd come to know Jesus as their Savior. That's the way we should pray. That's pursuing a lot, but that's hard, isn't it? You're talking about preaching hard stuff. I'm preaching hard stuff this morning. A lot of us don't practice this, and I, I, hey, I struggle with it too. I'm just as much in the flesh as anybody. Realize that. So the next thing we should realize is that we should not think of ourselves as that's. See, it all stems in the same thing that we should not think of ourselves as being better than others. Matthew chapter six, and verse five, <clears throat> says this. It says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. You know, to think of yourself as better than somebody means literally that because, hey, because I'm saved, you, you see, look at them, look at the way they're dressed, look at the way they act. Do you see what they've got on? Do you see how they conduct themselves? But we put ourselves and the Jews have been guilty of this and still are for years. And Jesus is talking to them and he's telling them, stop thinking of yourselves. There's we got plenty enough people who think they want to be seen of people. And most of us do. I've seen people use Facebook <laughs> and, uh, that away and to be seen of people. That's what it is to be seen. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, in anything in the world, you can use a bulletin board wrong. <laughs> you can use a cork board the wrong way. So it doesn't matter if it's technology or a cork board. You can use it to lift others up or tear others down. So let us not think of ourselves as better, or being better than others. The next thing, realize, now this is an interesting one, I just, I was studying this, kind of per, just going over and over and over, and I wanted to include this. Realize that if we're not praying and fasting followers of Christ, we're backslidden. Let me read that again, because I mean all of these statements are pretty long. You wait a second, Brother Michael. You saying if I don't fast, I'm backslidden? Well just follow me. Realize that if we're not praying and fasting followers of Christ, we're backslidden. How's your prayer life? And how's your, were you talking about I have to go without eating to be up? No, 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 no. I've preached that enough. Surely y'all know now the definition of fasting. It came to mean doing without food, but it really means sacrificing something. So, let's look. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, and then verse 16. It says this. I want you to highlight or just note in your brain two words. Verse 6. When thou prayest. That's three, but it doesn't say, if you pray. Amen. Now, verse 16. Does it say if you fast? Or does it say when you fast? Jesus is expecting them to do both. Oh, by the way, if you pray, you need to pray like that. By the way, if you fast, no, 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 no. It doesn't say that in either place, does it? It says when you in both places. He's expecting you to sacrifice. If you say, say, well, I'll do without uh, such and such for the Lord. In those days, fasting became known as the word study means to afflict your soul. To do without. To sacrifice. To give more time to God. To give more time to prayer. So, folks, I I pursue, I think. And I think the Bible bears it out, and I think it's shown in your Bible and my Bible. Red letters right there. It says, when you pray and when you fast, don't think of yourself as any better than anybody else. But God will reward you if you do it for the right reason, and He'll reward you openly. That's a pretty cool promise, isn't it? Of pursuing a life of excellence. So if I need to be more right with God, I need to have my prayer life and my fasting life doing without. If you haven't fasted in a while, I challenge you to do it. Say, well, I want to give up something. Oh, by the way, you say, if it's something that you know you should give up, like, well, I need to give up a bad habit. Well, that's not fasting. That's just giving up a bad habit. Give up something that you'll miss. Realize that The next thing, that most Christians don't become desperate for God till they're out of money. Wait a second. The Bible doesn't teach that. Yes, it does. Now, I did not put this in your outline. I think I did in the, uh, in the PowerPoint. In verse 21, it says that, I'm still in Matthew 6. In verse 21, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then in verse 24, it says this. No man can serve two masters. And the whole subject, matter of fact, if you have an outline Bible like mine, you know verses 19 through 24, dealing with money. He, it says, can't, can't serve two masters at ends saying this. You cannot serve God, and it's the old-fashioned word for money, mammon. Now... Think about this. Folks, and hey, be real. Hey, this sermon this morning is about being real. I've seen churches go, and this church included, and we'll coast along. Nobody's really getting saved. Nobody's been saved in a while, and we just coast along. But we, hey, be honest with me. We get a little antsy, and we get nervous when our checkbook starts getting a little low. Man, something's wrong. We don't have as much money in the bank as we used to have. Why does it take that to get us nervous and our prayer life to reach another level? Maybe where our treasure is, there our heart is also. Why don't, whenever we go months and months and our baptistry gets a little dusty, why don't we get as nervous? When our baptistry gets the little cobwebs in there, why don't we get broken hearted and want to hit the altar in prayer? It shouldn't take a low checkbook balance for us to get desperate for god amen or oh me jesus is saying some tough stuff here what are we serving what's most important to us and desperate for God means I want to pray. I want to go talk to Brother Michael during the invitation. I want to come up here and whether you can kneel at the altar, your knees are are, are, are are creaky and you say, well, I can't kneel, but I can sit on the front pew like I've stated before. I want to pray. I want to be desperate for God. Think about this. Did you come to church this morning saying, I want to be desperate for God? Or did you come to church this morning thinking, I just can't wait till he hushes and gets through with? the message. Did I I come to church this morning expecting to become desperate for God? There's nothing wrong with coming to church just because somebody dragged you or talked you into it. Desperate for God, but I need to be. There's nothing wrong with that. Did I come needing to be desperate for him? Is there anything wrong with saying I'm not desperate for him? But should I be? Realize that most of us have a problem with worry. Everybody, matter of fact, that's probably one of the biggest sins in this room. Is worry. I I'm putting I think in the bulletin is worry a really lack of faith in verse thirty-two. It says, For after all these things do the gen- things mean food and clothing. That's it. Things. Food and clothing. It doesn't mention uh big screen TVs, high definition systems, sound, surround sound, new truck, new car, new boat, new whatever. It just, all these things, it means just things. It says this, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, talking about your needs, shall be added unto you. What is worry? Worry is just saying, I am overly concerned with something. Matter of fact, it monopolizes your thinking and you stop trusting. That's what worry is. When something monopolizes or takes over, that's another way to say it, takes over, and that's all you know. what if what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens and it's bad, it's bad? Instead of just saying God I feel helpless and out of control. There's nothing wrong with feeling that. Would you take over? Lastly, oh, that's working now. Realize that most church members think they're going to heaven. Realize that most church members think they're going to heaven. Wait a second, Brother Michael, what are you saying? And you're just, sounds like you're just going way beyond what you should say. Actually, I'm not saying anything more than what Jesus said. That's what he said. In Matthew 7, in verse 21, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And it doesn't mean that they're. When the Bible says that it says, uh, "You that work is iniquity," it doesn't mean that they're bad people. But it, what it means is, is in their heart, they did it for the wrong reason. Maybe they were just be, because the lost person inside they don't have Jesus. They don't. They've never asked Jesus to save them. Well, I've never. I'm a good person. I've never hurt anybody. Well, thank you. (laughs) I'm glad. Uh, I've never done. I've never done what other people have done. But God doesn't want us comparing ourselves with other people. He wants us comparing ourselves to Him. And that's why we need a Savior. Of all the things of pursuing a you. To say this, you cannot have a life of excellence, you cannot pursue a life of excellence unless you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Do you know Him as your personal Savior? I want you to say this morning, in your heart say, Jesus, your sermon, your word. It says, I'm, I'm lacking in some areas. Help me to pursue you. If you pursue Jesus, you'll have a life of excellence. I, remember what I said? A life of excellence is not a mistake-free life. It's not a perfect life. It just means you get up and say, I need to go toward Him. I need to get up and go toward Him. That's all it means. That's all it means.